Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man who once helped Howard Stern climb out of a hedge after he finished spying on Rosie O'Donnell, it's TV's Tim Stack. Yay me and welcome to my 1,000th show this morning. No, uh, I think this, what are we up to? Show Jeremiah, are we up to show 14, I think, 13? It's an empire. So uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. That was Jeremiah Higgins, who I referred to, our executive producer, whose idea this whole thing was. And Dr. D is here, and I have some great guests, uh, Eddie Feldman and Dave Rogalski, who we'll get to. I just want to quickly tell the Howard Stern story because um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like early Howard. I don't know if you remember, there was a time when Howard was, uh, he won't care if I tell the story. And if he does, uh-oh. Um <laughs> So there was a time when Howard was really obsessed with gay women. Like, it was just gay. And, and he had this thing about Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell drove him crazy. So we went down to, we, the guy, Jim Stein and Dave Morgison, who I had on the podcast, who we did Sound of the Beach together. We go to the Four Seasons Hotel to spend the day with Howard working outside. He loved being in the California sun. We worked outside. And all of a sudden, he got word, it was like he was paying a bellboy or somebody, that Rosie O'Donnell was at the pool. And he wanted, and he had always heard that Rosie O'Donnell, like, had really hot women. Maybe she does. I don't know. But he was just, like, it was like a little boy (laughs) at camp. Like, he became a little boy. Like, I'm going to go spy on Rosie O'Donnell. And he, so he, but he doesn't want her to see him. So he crawls into this hedge. That was by the pool. And it was one of those hedges where the, I don't know what the branches were, they were ficus or something. He crawled in, but then he couldn't crawl, like he saw what he needed to see. Oh, there's Rosie or whatever. (laughs) Then he couldn't get out because the branches were keeping him in. So we had, and he's yelling like, get me out of here, get me out of here, I'm done spying. So we had to gently like break some branches and push branches away without cutting him. Anyway, he eventually... We got him out. We saved Howard Stern. We saved him for all of the world to uh, listen to. So uh, that's my uh, Howard Stern, uh, Rosie O'Donnell story, which was kind of fun. Anyway, my guests this week, we're going to start a drum roll. This is going to be the longest intro in the history of radio. Anyway, Dave Rikowski and Eddie Feldman are comedy writers and producers, both known mostly in late night and the variety world. Dave got his start on the Wee Willie Weber show. I'm just kidding. That's a Philadelphia reference. Nobody's going to get that joke except if you're from Philly. But he went to Ohio University, worked on Late Night with David Letterman, moved to L.A., worked for years on The Jay Leno Show and The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Eddie Feldman went to SUNY Oswego. I had no idea there's Oswego. I didn't know. It's always SUNY and Oswego. That's my joke. Um, but he's worked on Dennis Miller Live, the Showbiz Show with David Spade, the Emmy Show. I want to hear about the working on an award show. And he did one episode of Law and Order, dun dun, which I want to hear about. Uh, anyway, together we're just we're we're two thirds of the way through your intros on this. Together they worked on You Don't Know Jack. Uh, game show mistakenly hosted by Paul Rubens. We can talk about that. Um, I love Paul, but wasn't the right show for him. Uh, the Orlando Jones Show, The Magic Hour, that was Magic Johnson's talk show, and the Heaven's Gate of talk shows, The Chevy Chase Show. So maybe we can talk about that, because I actually have a story about that. Anyway, the longest introduction in the history of radio. Please welcome Eddie Feldman and Dave Rogowski. Yay! Sorry, guys, it took an hour to get to you. Okay. <laughs> anyway, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, the three of us uh, have been working on something that hopefully one day will sell. Uh, but you guys, uh, I knew Eddie, or I knew Dave, sorry, from Pumpcast, but, uh, and I met Eddie through Dave. But how did you guys meet? How, how I forget what brought you two together. Me too. So we forgot too. If you made Dave, maybe you can remember. It was the Chevy Chase show. That was our yeah. first. Though, okay. actually, I was thinking about it. Uh, when I was first in New York in 1986, 
I believe Eddie and I lived like a block apart from each other, but didn't know each other up on the Upper East Side. I was on 91st and and 1st, I think. Where and were I you was on 90th. Yeah, I was on 90th in New York. So, yeah. Yeah, one, one block away. One block away. But you didn't yep. meet each other till you got out to L.A. Right. Right. Yeah. And no, so, and that was on the Chevy Chase show. Yes. Yeah. Well, Dave, you were already hired. I, I got hired like a week before the show premiered or, or uh, seven weeks before the show was canceled. <laughs> and I think we had 10 weeks of pre-production with the goal of getting 10 tape pieces in the can before we went on the air. I don't think we met that. How many like actual that. episodes of that show? I don't know if people remember it, but I, I kind of do because, well, first of all, Stern used to talk about it all the time. But but then I was good friends with Harry Anderson, and he was on the show. So how long was that show actually on the air? 29 Six episodes. Weeks. Yeah, 20, 29 episodes. And it was really crazy, right? It was like, and I, I, I did a movie with him once. He's Chevy Chase. He seemed like an okay guy, but just uh, he impressed me as being very insecure. That was the word that uh, that I came away with. Like he was perfectly nice, but very needed a lot of attention. That was my take on him. Um, but that that was kind of like a debacle. That whole show, right? And I, unless you don't want to dump on it, if if you don't, I uh, have no problem. <laughs> <laughs> the um, he he didn't show up until like two o'clock in the afternoon. And that was one of the, he called Letterman and asked for advice and uh, how, how to do the show. And it was like, the obvious thing was to show up. Yeah. Um, the, when I inter I originally didn't, I got passed over. I interviewed with him and uh, he went off on a rant about how the Simpsons wasn't funny. So that, uh, the, uh, and then 40 years they offered, later, <laughs> they offered uh uh, uh, one of the writers they offered the job to passed on it and I got hired. I can't remember who it was, but I believe they went on to be a writer at, on the Simpsons. They got an offer for the Simpsons <laughs> so instead funny. of going to check. <laughs> That's so, funny. It made it funny. Um, and then <laughs> yeah, you and came I, in later. I got, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Was, you came in later. Came in a week before, well, you know, a week before the show premiered. Because I had been on Dennis Miller's first show, and um, that got canceled. And then uh, it wasn't; they needed a, some writers, and I got brought in a week before. And that's when I first met Chevy. And uh, but but he and I, seeing the grown up, he he grew up around Woodstock, New York, where I grew up. So right. we had a lot of common. He knew the area and things. And um, and my quick take on it is, he wanted to do a five night a week sketch show with all his friends. And they said yes. And then slowly but surely, they're like, well, we can't have that guy. He's too expensive. And they kind of pushed him into a, a, you know, typical late night series that he didn't want to do. And then apparently he found out, like, even if I could cancel, I get paid. So I think he had no motivation. Except after to, get that. to get canceled. Yeah, because yeah. uh, Harry Anderson told me he was a guest on it. And Harry left show business, this is after Night Court for a little bit, and became a like a trained paramedic up in Washington. And then oh. he brought back Dave's World, and he's on that show promoting Dave's World. And he thought, during the interview, he thought Chevy was having a heart attack. Like, he legitimately wanted the paramedics to come in. They came a commercial break, and he sort of went to somebody and said, look, I'm a paramedic. This guy's having a heart this oh, guy's wow. having a heart attack. So, and it turned out, I guess it was just maybe an anxiety attack or whatever. And anyway, um, so, but let's go back. Uh, let's go back before the Chevy Chase show. So, and we'll just go back and forth. So Dave, I know you went to Ohio University and I believe somehow you got into the Letterman show, right? Yes. Was that your first professional? The um, Ohio University, for some reason, got a good reputation with the Letterman people. And uh, there was, I remember there was an article in the, the post, the OU student newspaper. Uh, it was a profile on a kid that just had his internship. And I, and I was like, Oh, there's such a thing. Uh, so I figured out how to call and get an interview. Um, I interviewed with Paul and Nieder 
who turned out to be Chris Elliott's wife. Uh-huh. Oh, and, I didn't know that. I didn't ever knew he was. She was the sweetest woman in the world. Oh, great. And uh, worked in the talent department. And uh, they, I, I wanted to be a writer's department intern, but that wasn't open. So they put me in, uh, they said, we've got a graphics department slot. And I was like, I'll do anything. Just get my foot in the door. And uh, I'll interrupt for one second. You're really good at that stuff. Like <laughs> Dave builds decks that are unbelievable. So anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Keep going. That's a, the, uh, the first thing I got there, they sent me out with a Polaroid camera and told me to take pictures of steam coming out of manhole covers and great. And, Show uh, business, baby. I, it, 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 it was for a bookmobile book that was cheap places to sleep for tourists coming to New York. That's funny. <laughs> first Airbnb. Yeah. Hot, air, hot Airbnb. So then like you, you did the internship. They must have liked you. Yeah. And the thing about, I was just a fly on the wall, quiet, did what I was told, just filed photos for Ed Hall and Shecky. And uh, they they would use me in bits. That was fun because it helped pay for my room at the 92nd Street Y. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and I had to leave because I had to go back to college to get my degree. They, they got me a job if I wanted to stay at Lindy's. I, could, I was going to be a waiter at Lindy's, which was the ground floor. <laughs> That's the cheesecake so place? Yeah, yeah. Because it was a hangout after the show. We, we uh, can't work on the just, show, but we got you a job at Lindy's. <laughs> you can serve but you're us. near the show, <laughs> and you'll be yeah. bringing us takeout. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, show business, but I, uh, yeah, I had I, I had to make money, so I went down to Jersey Shore and worked uh, at a water slide as a lifeguard. And... Uh, then went back to Ohio University for my final quarter. But then, and, uh, but I actually then went to hired. California for a year. Oh, really? Yeah, I tried to get some PA work and stuff. And uh, I don't know why I, I didn't go back to New York. I would have gotten hired at Letterman earlier. So it was just, let's see what's out in California. And I uh, went to New York in January of 86 and was working at Tower Records and that uh, March of 86, they called and said the receptionist job was open. So you took I, it. I, hell yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, and Eddie, you, uh, you were stand-up. You were a working stand-up. Was, that, was that your intro into show business? Uh, yeah, I started doing stand-up, and that's where, you know, and, you know, although I always liked to write, and, but, you know, there was no pathway that I knew of that time yeah. to be a writer so i got talked into doing stand-up and i you know was starting to do that really frequently make a living of it and um you know that's when i uh got booked to do some colleges with dennis miller uh when he was on saturday night live and that's what that period but i had right. met him i had met him the the night that he auditioned and got letterman at catch a rising star he introduced himself to me and asked me, could I, Hey, could you come watch my set? I'm auditioning for Letterman. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then he killed, got on that. And then he did Letterman and then eventually Saturday Night Live. But, you know, uh, so I got, that's how I first met him. And he was doing a talk show. Uh, and he asked me to write on it because I had, uh, you know, worked with him and he was liked that my writing. The syndicated show. That was on trip. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was on Tribune. It was uh, five nights a week. Right. Uh, you know, yeah, that's, that was his first foray into that. When, when we all discovered that uh, he's great at one night a week, five nights, you know, he, he could not care less to be on the air five nights a week. One that's a lot of work. Well, you can see why that HBO show was so great. Cause uh, I mean, I remember the syndicated show. It's just so much work. It's, it's an unbelievable amount of work. I, I, I once had an interview with Roseanne to be a writer on her show. And I remember my agent, who was Stern's agent, Don Buckwald, said, that show is never going to work. You have to you have to be willing to work. It's sort of like the Chase yeah, yeah, show yeah. up thing. Like, you got to kill yourself five days a week. It's, you know, it's 14 hours yeah. a day. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. You know, you got to be committed. Um, okay, so then we're going to pick it up after that, after this. Commercial, I am talking to Eddie Feldman, who you can find at Eddie Feldman, at Eddie Feldman. And I'm talking to Dave Rogowski, who you can find at, at Ludwig Fauci. 
Is that a Beethoven meets Dr. Fauci? Yes. I, uh, one of my many avatars at one point, I, uh, I had a baseball cap with Beethoven's head on it. Yeah. And I have a, a, a mask that was a sequin Dr. Fauci. So I took my picture with the Fauci mask and the Beethoven, and I was like, all right, I'm Ludwig, Ludwig Fauci. Okay, now it makes sense. <laughs> That's an interesting look. Um, Okay, we're going to take a break And uh, it's Radio with TV's Tim Stack We'll be right back Hey everybody, it's Tim Stack From It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack Asking you to watch the show Sprung On Freebie, Amazon's new free channel I promise you it's funny It's got heart And my shoulder appears in episode 3 a website in England is claiming that more housewives are having adulterous affairs than they claim because the credit crisis is forcing their husbands to work longer hours. You, sir, at Pump 15 in Burbank. Yes, good morning. Howdy. How do you respond to something like that? Uh, I work six or seven jobs. Do all of them have to do with looking like a member of the Beatles? Now, what about the guy in your car? It looks like he's a Beatle, too. Yeah, we're on our way to a gig. Now, which Beatles are you got? I'm Paul. You're Paul? I'll tell you the part of George Harrison. Really? Looks like George has been eating at Subway a little too much. Okay. Uh, That was a clip from uh, Pumpcast. Pumpcast News, which was a... A bit where we'll talk about, we might as well talk a little bit about that, but I also want to get Eddie into the conversation there on this, is that's how I met Dave. Uh, I met Dave, and then we went on TV together, like, uh, he called me, and I got a call from The Tonight Show with Jay Leno saying, hey, uh, there's a bit here we think you'd be right for. Dave, why don't you take over that part? Because I just remember saying, like, yeah, that sounds fun, let's do it. The uh, interesting thing... I, I, I pitched that bit on my first day back uh, to Leno in 2005, which was after the Dennis Miller CNBC show was canceled that summer. And I came up with the idea originally while working on Dennis, and I wanted to do it in a gym at a TV in front of a treadmill. That's good, too. And, and um, we just we got canceled. I didn't get a chance to even pitch it. And I was in Jay's office looking across Alameda and there was a Shell gas station there. And it just clicked in my head that, hey, put a TV on the monitor on the gas pump and uh, have two-way revealed. And uh, they went for it, built the thing. Like two weeks after that, Shell announced that they were putting TVs in their gas pumps (laughs) for real. (laughs) Wow. And uh, uh, we were, you were the only person we considered. I uh, we were thinking of names, and Larry Jacobson actually said, "Hey, what about Tim Stack?" Because of uh, Dick Dietrich, right? We thought you'd be perfect, and you're the only person we called. So yeah, it all, it's job. one of those jobs that always worked out. And I always tell people, like my easiest, most fun job was Bumpcast because you literally <laughs> you go into a room, which was a studio, a little studio at NBC. And you just wait for people to come up. And then we got down to a system, and the big question was always, did they sign? Did they sign? Because they had to sign a release in order for the show to air. That was always a one, big thing. Yeah, the, the one time that a guy really got offended, he came around to the satellite truck, which was hidden from the gas pumps, and opened the door. And I'm in there with the tech guy and he's like threatening me he was gonna fight me <laughs> and he goes you can't just do that to people and i'm like dude there's cameras everywhere you we could put a film of your daily life together if we wanted to put video of you from your bank to the grocery store so so um was- I, I, maybe we'll jump back to pumpcast a little bit later but i i do want to talk about like and eddie i know you'll have a lot to say but on this but the the politics of a writer's room i've been on writer's rooms on half hour shows and there are some politics there but it seems like in the variety world there's even more politics is that a safe question in terms of getting uh, getting your bits on the air and and the voyage of getting them there 
Well, I, I would say, um, again, I haven't been a lot in a lot of the scripted writer room, but some, you have to remember in, in the shows that like Dave and I did, there's a, there's a dictator and he's called the host. So he gets to pick or she gets to pick. Right. And what that does, it takes some of the, the yes, you can try to get your own jokes and things, but when you have the host who says, no, I will, I'm going to, I'm picking what I want to say. It, it really helps because one of the keys to these, making these shows successful is if your host and David can attest to this for Leno, can you look at 300 jokes and pick the 10 best? That makes the, the world of difference as long as you're able to do that. And so, yeah, there's always writers, you know, jockeying for position and those things in these other shows. But here you have one guy normally who's picking what he wants to say. And that helps, uh, you know, alleviate some of the politics. And when when he or she looks at the jokes, like take Leno or Letterman, do they know who wrote the jokes? Um, yeah, yeah, you hand your jokes yeah. in uh, at those specific ones. You hand your jokes in with your name on it, and Jay would uh, we called it dogs. He would put a D next to the jokes that he liked, and uh, uh, the uh, one funny story. Uh, one of the monologue guys left before we started taping one day and another uh monologue guy put the monologue together with all that guy's jokes on it and sent it to him faxed it to him to his home and he he thought he had every joke in the monologue that <laughs> night and he was calling his family and and that's <laughs> much to his chagrin he might have had two <laughs> uh see i always found that to be like if i was a dictator on a comedy show like a, a variety show or a talk show, I would insist that I don't see names because, and it, it really bugged me in my little time at Saturday Night Live that whoever, whoever was the writer dictator got their stuff up top, like mm-hmm. early on in the table read, and there were names and it became like so inside as opposed to who wrote it. We don't care who wrote it. It's good. And I, I don't know. That's how I would do a show but you know i also know of somebody now who's on a show that there's sort of a protector between the staff and the dictator and that person is sort of siphoning material i don't know it's 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 a tough world yeah i mean uh you know dave on on the i would say on the dennis mill on the hbo show we did we did keep them uh we just collected and collated them and didn't really worry about who wrote what I I knew, but Dennis, it was more of, hey, it's a funny joke or everyone contributes. You know, we did it that way. Um, and also in writing submissions, I found I didn't put names on there because I, it's, a lot of comedians know other comedians and then they kind of get biased. And so I would just put somebody a number. And when I would give, you know, my host stuff, I would just, hey, what did you, did you like this person or not like this person? Right. I, I kind of like that. And we didn't really count. You know, you, I I could count, but I, I really didn't want the host to all of a sudden go. Tim Stack, I haven't seen a joke from him in right. like in two days. <laughs> like what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it's it's uh it's and and you were talking about Jay picking jokes. Um, and Eddie, you may have another example of somebody like that. Dave, I always heard there was like, in fact, Dennis Miller told me this that there was sort of like a subgroup that would meet at Jay's house and go through jokes. Is that how it worked there? The, yeah. Um, and for the, probably the first 10 or 15 years and Brogan was part of that. Yeah. Um, That's Jimmy also, Brogan. Who's a sort of a legendary comic within the comics world. Yeah. And he still opens for Jay at the uh, comedy and magic club in Hermosa on Sundays. Um, I'm trying to Chuck Martin. Jay does the show from an iron lung now, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be next. After burning himself and cracking up, they wheel out an iron lung and you hear Jay does that with an echo. Because he'll go on forever. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, uh, I interrupted. The uh, so Chuck Martin, Jimmy Brogan, a couple other guys that were stand ups would meet not the writers themselves right and 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 pick out what he liked and they always got added to the next day and brogan would come in before rehearsal to go over the 
they had index the jokes would get typed up on index cards and then they'd get put on cue cards once they picked the final whatever 30 so uh uh there's and the staff was pretty much cut in half between guys who specifically wrote monologue jokes and then people who wrote the desk bits and tape pieces so uh you, they they could cross over if you had jokes everyone got a right uh, a, a calendar of what the bits were coming up and were invited to submit jokes for and eddie you i don't know if it was the same system you did on hbo but i remember on the cnbc show you would put out a list of topics to write jokes on and the writers would give them i think to the assistant via email and then they would all get compiled under the topic without names uh yeah i think i did that simply because it was the four days a week and trying to manage everything with a small staff and it was you know uh, you know easier to kind of pick the top story so that people can kind of focus on the top five things of the day and then go about your business with some other stuff as because otherwise it'd be like i think we found that you know you all the jokes would come in you're like hey nobody really wrote anything on the top three stories and we didn't and it was such a quick turnaround you know, with a small staff that it was, you know, we wanted to get as much in about what was the news of the day as we could. Right. And I think that's right. That. And Eddie, you may have a, 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 may relate to this a little bit, but, but Dave, you brought it up as the monologue room versus the bit room. Did those two ever like, were you as a bit person, were you allowed to write monologue jokes? Yes. And I think I might have gotten three on in 14 years. <laughs> but within so, so the that's good. on Leno, we had short video clips that we call drop-ins. Right. So those were news-related or uh, uh, topically related. And, you know, 10 to 15 seconds long where you're green-screening somebody in uh, uh, whatever news clip was worthy. Right. So those were fun to do. And then, Eddie, did you ever work at – I'm guessing the shows you worked on, you did both. You did uh, – because they weren't as big as Leno. Um, yes. Yeah. So we did both. Like, that was really – so, the, you know, if it was Chevy Chase, yes. If it was Dennis's first show, yes, we'd write stuff. And then, sketches. I remember the first sketch I, on TV I did was uh, um, almost like a Bill Nye science guy. I wrote it up. And they were like, okay, that's great. You do it. I'm like, I do it. And I'm like, yeah, you should do it. You'll, and it was, it was me doing basically the same science experiments I did like in fifth grade. But the difference, <laughs> but now, I, but I, I'm like, I don't know that I'm an adult. And so I would wear like a snorkel mask instead of a, a, a protective mask. I had a, a, an assistant who was uh, on the cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine, but I didn't notice how sexy she was. So I did like a, a month of those. Wow. That sounds funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'd like to see of, that. Yeah, it was before Bill and I, Then I saw Bill Nye. I'm like, he stole my act. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, yeah I was going to say the Bill Nye, but yeah. with a sexy girl who you didn't care about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. So, so, and everything was double entendre. Right. So it would be like, well, today we're going to study friction. Do you know what friction is, Bobby? No, I don't. Oh, it, it's basically could not be done. <laughs> these days so it's like I'm, my mind is going back to johnny carson with the tea time matinee lady yeah or, matinee, yeah, yeah. it's like that no. like, I, it was I went to the uh the talent person cower prop and i'm like i need an assistant for this so, you know a girl a female yeah. and, then, and so she brought back the cover of muscle and fitness magazine and goes will she work i'm like uh yes i think yes. so <laughs> like so like i, I like tv I see how this works. Uh, first casting couch. So we're going to take yeah. another break into our second, get into the second half. I'm talking to Eddie Feldman and Dave Rogalski about their really uh, successful and long-term careers in late night and variety and now doing other stuff. Um, again, Eddie at Eddie Feldman for Twitter and at Ludwig Fauci uh, for Dave on Twitter. And um, I also want to prog, plug, prog, plug, plug, uh, sprung on uh, Amazon Freebie, the show I worked on that uh, we're still waiting for season two. Um, hopefully, we'll hear soon. Otherwise, it's like, okay, we're going to move on. Um, but we'll be right back in a second. It's radio with TV's Tim Stack. 
Now, this is just uh, one comedian talking to another, but you uh, undoubtedly have the best timing I've ever heard of a comedian in, in my generation. I mean, you stun me. You're, I just have to tell you that from a technique standpoint. You, nobody makes me laugh as hard as you with timing jokes. Fine. <laughs> that was a bit from... Uh, I think it was the eight. No, maybe it was Dennis Miller Live, but Don Rickles was on. It plays better visually because Don just, Dennis is yeah. complimenting him <laughs> and about timing, and then Rickles just goes, fine. Uh, <laughs> so um, so that's interesting. I didn't know that you had met Dennis, uh, Eddie, uh, in the stand-up world. For some reason, I thought you came back, I don't know, later on. I thought... That, that's how you met, but you met that early on before he was well, on Saturday Night yeah. Live. Yeah, yeah, it was a catch. I'm at the bar, catching rising star, and this guy standing there, and we, you know, that's where all the comedians hung out. And he said to me, "He goes, are you a comedian?" I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Oh, I am Dennis Miller. I'm auditioning for Letterman tonight. Could you come in and watch my set?" <laughs> so it was, but then years, it was years later that we got teamed up to do these colleges, and I, I think what happened was I. We were sitting around and, you know, we hit it off pretty well. And, uh, you know, we we're having dinner or something. And I mentioned a joke and he was like, hey, that's really funny. Um, I'm on Letterman this week. Could I use that on Letterman? And I was like, well, I'm not on Letterman, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and it was after that. And he did the joke and Letterman repeated the joke and things. And he was like, he goes, oh, I'm doing this show. I already have my writing staff, but I'll pay you if you want to stay in New York. And so I. And I'm like, oh, yeah, great. So I wrote in the morning. I was only, I, it was maybe like a week and a half in. Uh, one of the writers wasn't working out. I was getting a, quite a bit of stuff on. And then he's like, hey, could you come to New York? And, um, you know, I mean, I come to L.A. And I like moved overnight and started working, you know, flew in on Sunday and started on Monday. And so just and started that was up. It. And did you ever, when he was on Saturday Night Live, did you, did you ever cross paths with him then? Because it seems like we would have been perfect on that show writing for him yeah well i never did i mean i you know no i think i ran into him in the, the clubs a little bit but right. you know he didn't remember you know uh no i never did it was it, you know i i never we just never hooked up there and i and i didn't know how to submit to saturday night live right at the time so it just never worked out it just happened to be kismet you know when we were doing stand-up together um, so I had asked you guys before and don't worry if you didn't come up with anything, but, um, I was thinking of like, and, and I, a, a bit came to my mind, uh, from Nightstand, but like, is there some crazy thing that happened during a show? Like that just sticks in your mind. Like, how did that, how did that happen? Uh, anyway, in any of your mem memories, has anything come through? The, um, it's funny you mention it because the thing from Letterman that happened during a taping of the show, uh, they recently just posted on their YouTube channel a clip of it, and that was when Crispin Glover kicked Dave. Or, oh, or yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dave. And uh, what's funny, before we started taping that episode, I was in what we called the airlock between the hallway and the studio, and... Uh, Crispin Glover was out in the hallway and he was dressed in the platform shoes and polyester plaid pants. And yeah. Dave, I remember him specifically looking out and seeing Crispin and saying to either uh, Morty or Barry, I can't remember who was the EP at that point. I sense hijinks afoot. It was the exact <laughs> phrase that he said. I, I burned in my memory. And, I, and then he, he was, kicked him. He, he read it right. He knew something was going to happen. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they went to commercial, and uh, Crispin missed out on his second act. They they bumped somebody else up. So yeah, I was... forget how Dave handled it. It was clearly like super uncomfortable. Did he actually yeah. make contact with Dave? No, no, no. But it was and, really uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, and if you watch it again, it's very obvious that Dave had no idea what was about to happen. That was all improv on Crispin Glover's part. And I remember afterwards, he was like, "Oh, I." I thought this was the kind of show you could just do that sort of stuff on. And uh, I think he was regretful, obviously, but. Uh, no, that did I, not I, help I, his I, career. That, I'm uh, sure he did that. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I remember that. I remember. Yeah. I remember the fallout from that. Yeah. That's really well. 
Eddie, anything come to mind with you? Well, I mean, there's, uh, you know, nothing like that. I remember one time we did have a guest. There was a, a French actress who I haven't heard about in a while. Her name is Audrey Tattoo. Yeah. She, she, you know. I remember the name. She, this was on, yeah, this was on Orlando Jones where she came to the show. She's in her dressing room. And then she refused to go on when she was introduced. And so <laughs> we have a guest in there. Which she's billboarded and she would not go on. She was got scared and wouldn't go on the show. And, you know, we're, we're trying to fill the time. And so uh, we had our, one of our producers, actually, Michelle DeVoe, actually spoke French, could go in and speak with her. But we couldn't get her. She never came on the show. She came in. She got hair and makeup. And she just sat in the dressing room until the show ended. And then she left. And did she leave like... <laughs> Like, yeah. thank you. That was a great show. <laughs> Merci yeah. beaucoup. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great show. So it, 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 <laughs> just wouldn't go on. That almost feels like a bit. Yes. Plan that you were it would be. Yeah, would. talk to her through the door. Yes. With Michelle DeVoe doing the voice. It's like a yeah, Dr. Yeah. Strange love, but on a talk show kind of like. Yeah. Michelle. Yeah. Michelle. I, I forgot about it till you mentioned something. I'm like, oh, yeah, it was a weird. But that's, you know, that was the one thing I'm sure they would say is that's the thing with late, with non-scripted late night show is, you know, you walk in the studio and it's like, there's a list. There's no script. There's nothing. You have jokes, but you go in at 9am and at five o'clock, there's a show and there's people and they show up and it's like, okay, now we do it again tomorrow. It's not like, oh, we're going to reshoot it. It's like, that's the whole, that's what this is. You know, it's funny because the, the one time Dave and I were talking about it last week was the one time that I was on the Johnny Carson show with Johnny was part of the Groundlings. It's like that kind of stuff just never went on. That show, you talk about a dictator, like we were yeah. basically told if you see Johnny, don't say hello. Like, don't say, hey, Johnny, <laughs> like, yeah. do not look at him. <laughs> just, you know, and it wasn't like he was a bad guy. It was just, don't look like this show operates. It's like diamond cutters, how this show operates on a schedule and timing. And 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 you get the feeling like Crispin Glover would not have kicked Johnny because there was an irreverence to David Letterman. Maybe he thought that. And Jay Leno, my experience there was just, it was so much more loose and friendly and amiable than Johnny. As I put, Johnny was like, everybody was uptight because Johnny might be in the room. You know, anyway. I was yeah. I was thinking of a crazy thing from Nightstand where I thought my career was over. It was the it was our second show. We did the pilot and then we're taping the next show. So we're you know we've sort of been picked up at this point. And we did a bit where uh, you know on talk shows they'll somehow have a mystery guest and they'll disguise the voice and they would put them in silhouette behind something and you see, you know, and you'd have yeah. like yes I was in the mafia and you know when you see the silhouette of the person. So we did this bit where this girl was in the silhouette, so you saw her perfectly, but we disguised her voice by sucking on helium balloons. <laughs> so the voice came out, you know, it was a stupid, funny bit. We didn't think anything bad was going to happen. Well, it turns out, I didn't know this, obviously, if you suck enough helium, like you reduce the oxygen in your body. <laughs> So on the silhouette, oh, no. this girl's doing the voice, but it's on the silhouette. She's doing the voice, doing it, and all of a sudden she collapses. <laughs> <laughs> but it's on the silhouette. <laughs> so I'm going crazy, and all I'm seeing is like, I finally get my own show on the air. It's been 25 years or whatever it was, and it, this woman just, like, I'm thinking she's dead, and this show is done. Anyway. She got up and we reconfigured it and changed her voice and looping and she mimed that she was taking the uh, the balloon anyway. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy stuff. So uh, how are we doing on time, Dr. D? We good? Mm -hmm. Okay, we're good. The so, uh, similar thing happened on Letterman uh, in rehearsal when they did uh, the suit of Alka-Seltzer. Yes. And Steve O'Donnell, the head oh, yeah. writer, wore the suit in rehearsal. And they didn't think about it, but all that whatever CO two that's coming up out of the bu bu uh, the bubbles, Steve passed out. Yeah, and they uh, yeah. so they they pulled him out, revived him, and realized, oh, good thing we didn't do that during the show. <laughs> yeah, killed Dave. I I think they uh, put at least a snorkel on Dave. 
so that he could get so he get air. oxygen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's go back to the careers a little bit. And you both, uh, Dave, I want to talk like for a while. You were at Leno, and then you left, and you came back. Right. How did that happen? Uh, I left because I got offered the head writing job on the Magic Johnson show, The Magic Hour. Right. And uh, that was a debacle for me. Um, it was a tough show because it didn't have an identity. Uh, and Craig Shoemaker was the sidekick for comedy. But he was only hired like maybe two weeks before the show was going to go on the air. There was a guy there, Steve White, who was the sidekick on the pilot. And he was hired as a writer and, uh, and on camera, but not sidekick. And he was a little bitter about that. He actually uh, uh, got Craig Ferguson fired. Uh, Ferguson, Craig Shoemaker fired uh, because he told the producers that he heard Shoemaker on the radio one morning bad-mouthing the show. Wow. And, uh, but I, I got fired two weeks before the show went on air, maybe a week before all the executives, there were three EPs on the show and three Fox executives, uh, assembled all the scripts we had for bits one night. And after I left, they sat in a room and, and read the scripts and determined that there was nothing funny about them. And they brought in another head writer, uh, the next day, but they, they I remember, uh, uh, Lon Rosen said, being in an incredibly good mood. And he was like, oh, we've got, uh, everything's going to be great. We've, we've got the answer. We figured it out. And they figured it out was, we're going to bring Tony DeSantis in and you'll be co-head writers and you'll be the guy that does the take bits. And uh, I, I didn't know it was Tony. I just knew it was, well, we got this figured out. And I, and I just packed a box up with my stuff and never went back after that. <laughs> and uh, had my, my lawyer dealt with it and uh it, yeah there were those people that magic was fine he, but but his eps and they were just backstabbers and uh so uh, but then so did the people at leno were they mad at you for leaving no um because you got a head job so they respected yeah, it it's like yeah yeah um and the uh I bounced around a bunch uh, with Eddie on a bunch of stuff. The Orlando Jones show. You don't know Jack. Uh, and Eddie brought me on Dennis Miller's CNBC show. And I, we were there. I was there for at least a year. That was maybe a year and a half. And yeah. uh, they, they pulled the show. I went back. I'd been friendly with Leno's people because I saw them on the lot all the time. Right. And uh, Debbie Vickers asked me if I wanted to come back. Oh, great. And, uh, uh, I said, sure. And should they had to figure out how to finesse it with Jay because Jay, Jay actually remembered me as being um, maybe hard headed and stubborn and he didn't <laughs> need that. And uh, the, uh, so I pitched a bit to do as a freelance uh, where we, we called it Starbucks theater or something like that. And we went around to Starbucks talking to people working on uh, film scripts and collected actors and musicians and put together a little five minute bit as a like a trailer for at, a movie. At Starbucks? Yeah. We wow, had that sounds of- fun. That sounds really <laughs> yeah. clever. So yeah. that got you back there. Uh, Eddie, did you yeah. ever uh, did you ever leave a show and like like whoa, that was not and then come or then uh, come back. Not yeah, not willingly. <laughs> <laughs> Either played out or we were told to leave. But uh no I never you know I never, I, that never, you know, never went and come back, you know, uh, I never did anything like that, uh, uh, as I, as I remember it. Yeah. Right. And, and were you ever, well, you just sort of said it earlier. Were you ever fired? I can't remember now if you said that. Uh, was I ever fired? Uh, yeah, yes, actually I was. I had to think, yes. There, there was a show where, uh, you know, I got paid and, and had to go, but that was, that was because I'll, I'll keep the show remain nameless, yeah. but that was because the, uh, network did not want that show on the air. Oh, they, yeah, the, well, not, not, not the, it, it was doing well, but they did not want the host on the air. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to say what the show is. You can probably figure it out. Look at IMDb, but that was, that was one of the things of, um, they put, 
the show on the air without realizing the host's uh, point of view. That was opposite one of their other networks. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite point of view, and the uh, two people, uh, two of the most powerful people in Hollywood, basically said, uh, "No, one season and out for this." Bye. Start to dismantle it and gotcha. get rid of it. So yeah. So you weren't fired. You were just part of the group that got fired. Well, no, I was no because you know, they, they, you know, uh, the show was doing well, so they had I, my belief was get rid of the guy who's we don't want it on. And this guy will keep it on. So goodbye to you. We'll pay you out. And, Go, If this is the show that I'm thinking about, I believe we were in a commercial break during a taping when an executive came and whispered to you that this was the last episode. Oh, no, that wasn't that show. That oh. was, a, you know, yeah, no, no, that was something. No, this show ran its whole first year because uh, politically they would not want to take that show off the air. But it, it was OK not to bring it back, uh, sure. you know, so. You can figure, you all figure it out. The puzzle. <laughs> the, I can't the, wait. Me, you know. the over-under on when I go to IMDb after the show is... <laughs> yeah, that's right. You'll oh see. My God. Yeah. It will be quite easy. And we're going to have everybody from that show on the next podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, I'm talking to Eddie Feldman and Dave Rogalski, two great writers uh, who made their mark in Late Night and Variety. Uh, we're going to talk more to them after the break. Uh, you can find Eddie at, at Eddie Feldman. And you can find Dave at Ludwig Fauci, um, which he explained why he came up with that. Uh, And we'll be right back. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hi, I'm Eddie Feldman. And check me out on Twitter at Eddie Feldman, my name, on Twitter. And this is It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. Bunk beds are a lot of fun, but uh, there's the ever-present danger of tumbling out of a bunk bed, especially, you know, for really dumb kids. So uh, (laughs) now you're going to rest easy knowing that your child is wearing inflatable safety pajamas. Here, let's take a look at them. That's right. Any sudden change in altitude triggers the air valve, leaving your kid as snug as a bug in a Navy dirigible. Okay. That was a famous Letterman bit. Dave, were you in that? I can't remember. Were you on camera for that? Not that bit. No, no. That was that was a wacky prop bit that uh, those were usually ex- extras. Sometimes staff. I didn't. I don't think I ever did any wacky prop appearances. But you did. You sent me another bit where you were. Oh, you were the voice. You were calling in to. I was one Terry of Terry Gar. Yeah, yeah, for a Terry Gar interview. That was which after I you know I found that clip and I was like. Why don't we do that more? Let's go to the phone. Yeah. There's the only time we did it. And uh, it seems like it should have been a refillable bit during guest segments. Yeah, absolutely. It also reminded me, uh, I, you can find the bit on YouTube, right, Dave? That, uh, that, oh, it's part of that. The- mm, I don't, I, that was on my reel that I put together. So I don't know if they put it out on uh, Letterman's channel yet. The, uh, you know, it, it, maybe it'll make it when Terry Gar dies and they put together the uh, Terry Gar run. The, yeah, the obituary reel. It, it also just reminded me, like, she, how cute she was and sexy oh, yeah. and fun oh, yeah. and just, wow, what a star. Um, and we, we sprung that on her. We didn't let her know we were really? going to do that. We knew she's that, that uh, uh, willing to go uh, along with things that we knew she'd be a good sport. Um, so we're going to talk about a bunch of uh, side things here. I want to talk to Eddie about how he happened to write an episode of Law and Order because I watch that show all the time because yeah. my wife watches it and I can look at the internet while she watches it <laughs> and I yeah. don't have to participate. Uh, but it's on all the time. All of the all yeah. the Law and Orders. How did that yeah. come about? Well, because uh, you're so a stand-up at this point. Is, Sorry. Is, okay. So my degree that you mentioned early on from Sunny, as we called it, Sunny Oswego, mm-hmm. uh, was in criminal justice. That's how I started. I worked in. I worked as a caseworker with delinquent kids. That's where I was headed before I got into stand-up. So I too. It's an obvious transition. Fan. 
What's that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, um, I, I, you know, working with delinquent kids, uh, Drew Carey said to me, he goes, uh, so he went from delinquent kids to stand up. He goes, that's kind of a lateral move. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, it's true. So I, um, so I was also a huge fan of law and order because it was very procedural. Like I liked that and studied that. And I ran into two of the executive producers, Renee Bolse and Michael Chinuchin, at a Writers Guild function, you know, Emmy thing. And I was like, hey, uh, I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan of Law and Order, but my wife complains I watch it all the time. <laughs> and so they, you know, we were talking and I was like, told them, I agree. I go, hey, if I ever come up with an idea, could I pitch it to you guys? I go, yeah. So I went in and pitched them an idea and they got, yeah, we like that. Hey, let's write it. You know, let's do it. Why don't you do it? So I wrote the first one. Actually, I've written four of them. And so, uh, uh, so what I would do is on my break from Dennis Miller Live every season, while we were off, I'd write another episode of Law and & Order. And they'd give me an assignment, so I would go in and, and uh, finally got to use my degree, uh, my criminal justice degree. That's great. That's a great story because, you know, I just find it like you get locked in in show business, you get locked into one category. And that's not a horrible thing because you can make a living and have a nice life. But you get locked in, but then the chance to go write something that's what you're not locked in on is such a treat. And it's, uh, anyway. Yeah. And I know, Dave, you uh, you wrote on the show Lucky, the show yeah. that, I have to be honest, replaced Son of the Beach, my show, on <laughs> FX. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh. I thought they replaced... Uh, the Michael Chiklis show, the cop show. No, that was the big hit. That's what gave them the, okay, now I'm going to get mad. Um, <laughs> you got me started, Dave. Um, Kevin Riley, slowly I turn. No. Um, so, no, the show that replaced us was lucky because it was a half hour show. And so, but the Michael Chiklis show, um, what was that called again? Um, the commish. The com No, it was. No, it was, it was it, after. The it was commish. the bad cop. Yes. Oh, right. And that gave them. That gave the executive at FX, Kevin Riley, the sort of the clout to do what he wanted to do, and he didn't like our show, and so he got rid of us. But they replaced it with Lucky, which I thought was a very good show. I, I Billy Gardell was on it, and it was Greg a fun Robinson. show. So you were kind of the same thing, except you went to. You were a staff writer on that show, correct? Right. Uh, what did they give me? I had a title. I had a producer title, actually. Okay, cool. And, um, but they were friends. Uh, Mark and Rob Cullen created that show, Two Philly Boys. Didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, I, one of my f first jobs uh, when I came out to L.A. in 91, 92, uh, was working for ZM Productions. And Mark Cullen was uh, a development person there and we did a pilot for a ripley's believe it or not remake with dean stockwell as the host wow and it didn't get picked up it was I'm really shocked. weird it was it was cool it was like a theater in the round and uh he was really weird uh too weird to get the show picked up but that's how i met mark <laughs> and rob and uh got on that staff um, gotcha and that again it's fun to go you know what little I have with variety and late night. It's it's fun, and we're you know these projects now we're working on. We go like just go off and write jokes. It's really fun, but it's also fun to write scripted material. Yeah, you don't often get to do both. So yes, and see it happen. You know, the office was next to the stage on Sunset Gower. So uh, you're working and uh, uh, and pitching, and then you go down to the craft services to get right. some snacks and watch them shooting. And you're like, Oh, th there's a whole casino set up. And it's like, this is kind of fun. We right. could have a party night here and, and yeah. actually gamble. Uh, who was the star of that show? What John? John Corbett, John Corbett, right. Who used to run lights at the groundlings way back when. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like back in the eighties. Yeah. He used to run lights. He was a nice guy. I think he, 
Does he? He's married to Bo Derek now, I think. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. lives did in, they get married eventually? I maybe or lives in San Diego. Actually, Dennis Miller, I think, is good friends. We keep dropping Dennis Miller's name yeah. uh, today. So she, uh, yeah, Bo actually was a guest star on one of the episodes. There was only thirteen episodes, uh, but uh, they they brought her in. So, so kind of fun. I'm going through the IMDb thing again, and Eddie, and I see uh, wrestling. Is, uh -huh. How did that happen, and what did you uh, do there? Well, I have a my minor was in wrestling. <laughs> uh, no, uh, so uh, I like you probably throughout your career. I I would get calls from this um, headhunting group, really asking to say, "Hey, we're looking for an executive, uh, TV executive." Not calling for me, but say, do you know anybody? And I'd be like, hey, there's a guy over at Comedy Central that you should talk to. Or there's a guy at Fox you should talk to. Right. So, and they're like, oh. So one time I get a call from them saying, hey, we're looking for a head writer for the WWE. And, um, and do you know anyone? And I was like, I don't know. I said, let me ask around. They go, would you want to talk to them about it? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Because I had, Dave and I worked on, Orlando Jones and the head writer for Orlando Jones was the head writer at the WWE during the Attitude Era. This guy Tommy Blotcher where the Conan. When you said the Attitude Era, era, you mean that? like Rowdy Roddy Piper, that kind of? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Hulk Hogan, all that Attitude Era. I'm going to get stuff. you in two weeks at yeah. the Cleveland yeah, Memorial. Yeah. <laughs> and then he would he would you know tell me all about that. So when I when I. I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to them about this. And so I interviewed with, uh, uh, with Stephanie McMahon, like over the, like an early zoom or whatever that was. Right. And, and, you know, it was like, yeah, I, you know what, whatever it was, it really wasn't interested. And then they came back, uh, not too long later. And they said, you know, there's another, another position available. It's a more senior position. We'd be interested now. I go, yeah. Okay. So they flew me out to meet Vince McMahon in his office. And I was prepped by, Tommy Blanchett about what to say, different things. And, tell, and Tommy's take was, he goes, hey, with Vince, if you ever got mad at you, just make him laugh. You can make him laugh and it'll all go away. So I, I got there and ended up, you know, getting the job as the SVP of creative over the whole thing, um, you know, uh, and moving to Stanford, Connecticut. <laughs> That's right. They're in Stanford, Connecticut. My parents yeah. were from there, so I always remember Stanford, Connecticut. And I yeah. knew a younger guy I worked with on Earl, Sean Conaway. Did you ever run across him? Mm, not that, but maybe, but not that I, you know. Right. I'm not sure what he did. Yeah. Um, and so, so it, was, you, uh, it was crazy and, you know, just like you think, but I, you know, it was fun. And, and Stephanie was my boss, and then her husband, Triple H, was my boss, so... <laughs> It, it, it was, uh, but you know, the whole organizational part of it, the TV part and everything and the travel. So it was, it was a, it, quite the experience. Wow. Uh, well, we have, uh, talked a lot today. Thank you both guy guys. Thanks so much for coming on the show. This is really fun. Um, as I mentioned, the three of us are working on a project. So a lot of what you just heard uh, is what we talk about. We usually talk for a little bit, reminisce, and then uh, and then work, which is, I have to say, part of the fun of writing on comedy shows is that, is that you're gathered with people who are funny and you spend a few minutes catching up and, you know, and then, and then you start work. It, a lot of the shows that don't start work until four in the afternoon end up in trouble that's my observation yeah. you know <laughs> you know it's the ones that start about 10 15 in the morning you gather at 10 10 15 you start work those are the ones that generally uh have some success so yeah uh anyway uh thank you eddie feldman at eddie feldman thank you dave Rogalski at ludwig falchi if you want to check these guys out they do funny stuff on twitter um which i see all the time uh thank you jeremiah higgins my boss my boss man uh, thank you Dr. D Richard Dugan the engineer and uh, thank you all for listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack hey I'm Dave Rogowski you can follow me at Twitter uh, under at Ludwig Fauci and uh, I got nothing else to promote but you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack as always a big thanks to our station manager Les Carroll for letting us on the air 
at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at Jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.